0: As a group, the European Union member states make up the second largest economy in the world. Now the EU has just introduced a way to screen and in some cases reject incoming foreign direct investments deemed risky or dangerous for national security and critical European interests. How will the new regulations work? And how does the screening framework compare to similar measures in other jurisdictions around the world? We've assembled a Jones Day panel to find out. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Renato Antonini is a partner in Jones Day's government regulation practice. Working out of the firm's Brussels office, he has played a major role in many of the largest trade defense investigations in the EU and other jurisdictions during his 20 years of practice. He also advises clients in EU competition law, especially in cartels, state aid, and abuse of dominance issues. Also hailing from Jones Day's Brussels office, Eva Monard's practice focuses on World Trade Organization law, EU trade law, export controls, sanctions, foreign investment screening, customs law, and EU competition law. From Jones Day's Washington office, Chase Kanicki advises and represents clients in foreign direct investment matters, including filing CFIUS notices and negotiating mitigation agreements. He also represents and provides advice to clients in economic sanctions and export control matters. Eva, Renato, Chase, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave.
1: We're very happy to be here. Thanks
0: for making the time. I think this is going to be a really, really interesting program. Okay, so after a lot of anticipation and a lot of expectation, frankly, the EU has adopted a regulation on the screening of foreign direct investments. This is a big deal, a watershed moment. Let's talk about this. Renato, let's go to you first. Give me some background regarding this regulation and why it's so important right now.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. It is important to know that up to now, there's never been a regulation covering this matter. So this is the first time. It is also important that not all member states have screening in place. Mm-hmm. And it is now very much in the spotlight for indirect investment. The idea behind is to have a more coordinated system around Europe. Until now, each member state did differently. Now they are trying to coordinate this.
0: What are the benefits, I guess, of having a coordinated regulation? Why was this important?
2: Well, it is important because in order to take into account the EU interest as a whole, you need coordination. At the moment, Germany could consider that a deal is not problematic for Germany, but maybe it is problematic for another country. Mm -hmm. Coordination allows the EU to have a look at the, the wider picture and this is what uh, the regulation aims at. Okay,
0: and this was adopted very quickly at a record speed, I'm told, is that correct?
2: That's right, this is uh, was very, very fast. It took them 18 months. I know it doesn't sound so fast, but for EU standards, it is, I can grant you. And it was adopted by the Commission on the 13th September, 2017, mm-hmm. It took just eighteen months, which is again, it's a, it's a regular speed. Well, to
0: get all those entities and jurisdictions and countries on one page in about a year and a half is remarkable. So that that did happen very quickly, based on traditional standards, I would think.
2: Especially if you consider that they have to translate in twenty-four languages, which are all official languages of the EU. Well, twenty-four languages.
0: See, I didn't. Even, right. That didn't even dawn on me. But yeah, of course, of course, yeah. So. It, it's more complicated than I even thought, so well done to everybody that pulled this off. So you were alluding before, you said not all EU member states have FDI screening mechanisms. Explain briefly, if you could, Renato, how the situations in the member states currently.
2: Yes, it is actually very complex because there are 13 member states which do have the system in place and 15 member states which they don't have the system, a screening system in place. That means that not always there will be a screening. Mm -hmm. That also means that you might have uh, different systems. It is important, however, that France, Germany and Italy, they do have a screening mechanism. As you know, these are the biggest uh, members and markets and other four member states. They are considering now to put the mechanisms in place.
0: We've talked about this before, and, and Chase Konecki and I have talked about this before. You know getting a deal done is hard enough sometimes, isn't it? I mean, just the numbers and the due diligence and, and, and cutting the right deal, and then you've got to deal with different directives, depending on the jurisdiction where the deal lands, that monumentally complicates things. So this was a, a good step, I think, for the EU in terms of you know fostering economic growth. Am I correct?
1: I think that is absolutely right and just to illustrate the complexity, for instance, I am Belgian. Belgium is generally considered as one of the countries that does not have a mechanism in place. Mm-hmm. Now, Belgium has several regions within the country, and one of the largest regions, Flanders, actually does have a screening mechanism for specific transactions that could be reviewed by the Flemish government. Uh-huh. So this just shows really how complex the situation is in the EU, where you have the different member states but then even within the within one single member state there can be depending on the specific location of the investment there can be either scrutiny because there is a regime or not at all
0: so use belgium as an example depending on which region in belgium that the deal might be transacted that might dictate whether or not there are regulations in place
1: exactly because in belgium belgium is a very complex Country in general, uh, but also when it comes to this, so Flanders, one of the regions within Belgium, has very recently actually adopted a screening system whereby it can actually review certain investments in entities that are government owned or Flemish government owned or mm-hmm. that um, carry out a certain uh, function okay so but this only applies within Flanders, so that is part of Belgium, so indeed, yeah it's not the only the member state. Uh, It's then even within member states that there can be a difference.
0: It's getting more complicated by the moment, isn't it? All right, let's stay with Eva for a second, and let's talk about the regulation that was just enacted. What was the overriding purpose of the regulation, and what precisely does it put in place?
1: The main purpose of this regulation is to provide for some common regulation of screening in the EU by the different member states, Mm -hmm. and I think that if we want to answer this question, maybe it is also very useful to highlight for a moment what this regulation is not about. This regulation does not create any CFIUS-like system. So the European Commission is not making any decisions, investments. The only thing that it is doing, it can issue an opinion that has to be taken into account. Another thing that this regulation does not do is that it does not require all EU member states to have a formal screening mechanism in place. Okay. I think that th- these are t- two very important elements to keep in mind when we discuss what this regulation actually does. Now, moving then indeed to what it does do is that it creates a number of different mechanisms that allow for a cooperation and coordination between the different member states and the European Commission. So, okay. how does this work? So, the regulation actually puts into place three different systems. So there's three types. The first type is actually what to do Mm -hmm. when there is an investment that is undergoing screening in a specific member state. So there is a member state that has a screening mechanism in place, and it is actually screening a transaction. Now then, the regulation provides that other member states and the commission, that they can weigh in, uh, provide uh, comments or an opinion, and they can request information about the transaction that is being screened.
0: Information from the parties to the transaction or information Uh, from some government entity?
1: Their main contact point is indeed then the government entity, so actually the screening member state. However, the regulation does provide that the screening member state can ask certain information from the parties in the transaction and they are obliged to answer to that request. So the regulation does provide for an obligation on the parties to provide uh, certain information but it is the screening member state that will be asking that information from those parties then um, other member states can actually ask that screening member state to obtain that sp- certain specific information.
0: Okay, really good. So this has been adopted already. It was just just enacted I guess is it applying or is there does it take effect some time in the future or do the new regulations are they in force already
1: well that's a it's a very tricky question actually the regulation will enter into force on 10 April however it will only apply as from October 2020 why is this it's because the EU wants to give its member states sufficient time in particular 18 months mm-hmm. to actually Put in place and to amend certain systems that they already have. So it will, in principle, only apply as from October 2020. However, that doesn't mean that any transaction that is completed before that date will not possibly face any consequences under this regulation. Why is that? It is because the regulation also provides for the possibility for member states and the European Commission to ask questions, to issue an opinion about a transaction that has already been completed Mm -hmm. up to 15 months after its completion. So that means that if, for instance, in September of this year, a transaction is completed, then after 15 months, this regulation will already apply. And then at that point in time, other member states could raise questions issue comments or the European Commission can issue an opinion about that transaction, even though that transaction has already been completed. And even though that transaction was completed Mm -hmm. during a time that the regulation is not uh, applicable yet.
0: Okay. So the transaction could have been completed, but one of the parties to the, well, a member state could still ask questions about the transaction. They can't nullify it or anything, can they? Or can they?
1: No, they cannot. So what the regulation provides is that a transaction that is not undergoing screening, but that's already been completed or that is about to be completed, mm-hmm. um, that can actually trigger the attention of other member states. And they can then direct certain questions or issue comments or the European Commission can issue an opinion to the member state where that investment is taking place. Now, and then that member state is obliged uh-huh. to take due account of those comments and okay. to use all available means to actually do something with those comments, that information. now, If that member state has a screening mechanism in place, it could, if that's possible under its national law, open or reopen a certain procedure. It could also take certain other actions. So it is all still very dependent on the mechanisms that are available in the mm. member state where the screening takes place.
0: Okay. Okay. Let's get specific for a second. Are there particular sectors or industries that are covered by this regulation, Eva?
1: The regulation is actually very broad in that sense because it just specifies that it concerns the screening of investments on the grounds of security or public order. And then the regulation provides a list of sectors that could be relevant to make this assessment. So Mm -hmm. there are a number of examples given. And the examples are actually already very broad, but it is not exhaustive. Now, just to give you uh, some of the examples that are provided there, this includes, as usual, critical infrastructure. So that's energy, transport, health, water, communications, aerospace, defense, the typical. Then any sectors involving uh, critical technologies, dual-use items. Uh, This could uh, concern, for for instance, artificial intelligence, this kind of issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then energy, raw materials, food security. Access to yeah. sensitive information. So you see the list that is. Not Maybe exhaustive. It
2: was easier to see what is not included. Yeah, I think you're right. That's quite a list. Although it's
0: interesting, I'll, I'll bring in Chase Kanicki for a second. He can comment on this too. We talked to some of your partners, associates in Australia a week or so ago about foreign direct investment. And they had a, again, usual suspects. They mentioned the same things you're talking about aerospace, defense, uh, some tech things. But also there was sort of a natural resources bent to what Australia is doing in terms of protecting farmland and uh, mineral deposits, that kind of thing. So, And Chase can chime in if he, if he would, but are, are you surprised hearing that the EU is taking kind of a, I guess, kind of a conventional approach to all this? Or are there other things you expected to hear that the EU is looking to regulate in terms of sectors and so forth?
3: Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting to hear those those industries and sectors that are targeted. Again, it's very similar to the United States, and I think you know the one thing I'd like to focus on that Eva mentioned is artificial intelligence. Uh, that's something that I think our government here in the U.S. is trying to wrap their arms around to understand you know exactly what that technology is, and given that it has so many different applications. What type of that technology should be considered sensitive from a national security perspective? And I think that's uh, something perhaps the US and the EU may be thinking about together and thinking about, you know, from their, their collective interests, what type of artificial intelligence do they not want to get into the wrong hands? So that's certainly a development that we're watching closely here in the US and it sounds like they're doing the same in the EU.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a common problem, and we do a lot of podcasts with our friends in the intellectual property practice, but you know, science and technology are always, always ahead of law and, and regulations and the politics of it all. I don't know how you guys stay up, but this is fascinating where AI might be going, and it's interesting that that's a targeted area in the EU as well, as you said, in the U.S. Let's go back to Eva for a second. Talk about the specific types of companies that are being targeted with regulation are there certain company types that jump out
1: at you at the outset the regulation could cover an investment by any kind of company so there is no limitation here but it does provide that there are certain categories that can receive particular attention and one of these categories i think is, is very interesting it's the investments by investors that are somehow controlled by a government and that is of course very logical but so mm-hmm. And that's a typical EU angle also. The EU then refers not only to public bodies, but also to entities that receive significant funding from a government. So basically it's targeting significantly companies that receive a lot of state support. And that is a typical issue that the EU has problems with. It is is trying to find ways right now to tackle subsidies given by foreign governments in new ways, and this is one of the ways that it seems to uh, be tackling this issue.
0: Interesting. Let's talk about timing of all this. Is there a reason, and let's go back to Renato for this one, is there a reason why this EU regulation has been adopted at this point in time? What was the sensitivity to we need to get this done and get it done quickly?
2: Well, I think Eva mentioned indeed that uh, the key point, i.e. the fact that there have been a number of foreign investments concerning which EU member states had issues. And these are mainly uh, from China. And in China, there are quite a number of companies which are either state-owned or receive significant funds from the government, subsidies. So member states, they use their mechanisms, but they also ask the EU to take action. To do something about this. And that is the system that resulted from this pressure. You know, we've
0: done several of these programs and they're more scheduled. China is always kind of the elephant in the room, I guess. And not from a, an alarmist point of view, really, but everybody's kind of concerned, I guess. Eva, do you want to elaborate a little bit on where China plays into all this and the adoption of the new regulations?
1: I think it's absolutely true to say that it is probably China that is somehow the creation of this mechanism, and that it's indeed certain Chinese investments in the EU that have raised eyebrows that then actually let the EU to adopt this uh, mechanism. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, once this mechanism is in place, it will also impact a lot of other companies. All right. Again,
0: we've talked to Jones Day lawyers from other jurisdictions, Germany, Australia, the US they've kind of gone out of their way to say, well, look, Chinese investors are treated like everybody else. They're not being singled out. They're not getting extra scrutiny. But, you know, they're they're part of this. We acknowledge that China is a global economic force and we're interested in what they're doing, but they're not being punished. They're not being singled out. Is that how you would characterize the EU regulation?
2: I think so. But the problem is that Chinese investors are very likely to be Either government owned or to have received significant funds from the government. That clarifies. It is not discriminatory in terms of objective elements, but in concrete terms, because of the structure in the market in China, this regulation is going to be mainly directed to Chinese companies. Okay,
0: that clarifies. That makes sense. And it's a, you know, frankly, it's a different economic system many of these initiatives would have been government-funded or, or directed. So, therefore, the scrutiny is baked in. And you'd said before that there's attention to investments or potential investments that are funded or helped along by government entities. That makes sense. All right. Well, with all we've discussed so far, and we're getting ready to wrap this up, what will the regulation's impact be on foreign investors and their transactions in the EU?
2: First of all, it's it's difficult to say at this moment uh, what kind of actual impact we can make a number of uh, possible consequences. First of all, one is very likely, i.e. the consideration of EU interests in the framework of screening, which was not there in the past. This regulation will help having the EU interest taken into account when investments are screened. Mm-hmm. We will have certainly a sort of harmonization uh, between the different screening mechanisms and it is also a little push for member states to use the screening mechanism that they have or to put in place a system. So it is an incentive to start looking at this matter because this matter has become very relevant for Europe.
0: Mm -hmm. How about, and I'll put this out to the whole group and we'll we'll, uh, wind this down, so the regulations enforce, Eva mentioned there's an 18-month runway or so, uh, but this is coming. What do you see as the broader impact, the global impact of the EU's regulation? Let's go to Eva first.
1: Well, I think that this regulation will mean that when companies are making certain investments and they are looking at the jurisdictions in which they will have to uh, undergo a certain screening the EU will become more and more important in a number of different ways. First, the screening in member states that already have a screening mechanism in place might be tightened because there might be other member states watching over their shoulders, there might be the European Commission weighing in, other interests will be taken into account, as Renata was saying, it's not just anymore about the interest of the member state, that is like carrying out the screening, but it will also look at interests of other member states. So that is certainly an important element. In addition, Even in countries where there's no formal screening mechanism, so EU countries that don't actually have a screening mechanism in place yet, there could be a certain level of scrutiny. So you would not expect this because you think that that specific member state doesn't have any screening in place. Well, actually, if other member states go to that member state and say, hey, this investment, I find it rather concerning. I think you should have a look at it. There will be a certain level of scrutiny. And then, more in the long term, I think that it will probably lead to a number of additional member states implementing formal screening mechanisms.
0: How soon might that happen?
2: It will take time. It will, ta- yeah. it will take some time. There is some opposition from especially smaller member states, which actually even opposed this regulation. Uh-huh. They were not in favor of having this kind of system. So it's going to take some time, but I would not be surprised if, in the medium term, the EU moves from a mechanism like this one, which is a sort of opinion-based mechanism. They are not forcing, they are not giving orders, let's say, they are not giving directives, they are just suggesting to a mechanism which is closer to CFUs, whereby the European Commission, like it does in competition law and in other areas, has a more active role for those deals which have EU relevance. Here, at the moment, the EU relevance is left to the assessment of the member states cooperating or with advice from the Commission. In the future, we might see the Commission taking a more active role and taking decisions when the investment concerns more than one member state.
0: Okay. Renato, thanks. Nicely said. Let's wrap this up with Chase. Chase, you've been involved in a couple of these conversations, and this is a nice segue because Renato mentioned Cepheus right now. From a global perspective, how's what the EU is doing, or what the the regulations they just implemented, how do you see that impacting deals moving forward over the next couple of years?
3: I think it's going to have a huge impact, and I think foreign direct investment regimes around the world, including the ones that we're talking about here today in the EU, as well as the others that we've explored in this podcast series, I think foreign direct investment regimes really have to go to the top of the list that folks are thinking about when it comes to thinking about a deal. Um, it's going to be much the same as antitrust considerations. I think at the outset of a deal, companies or their council map out the various jurisdictions that this deal could touch and figure out whether they need to make antitrust or merger control related filings in those jurisdictions. And I think with all of these amendments and developments, particularly in the EU, I think it's gonna be a a similar playbook from a foreign direct investment perspective, mapping out all the jurisdictions that this particular transaction can touch and figure out one, do we need to make a foreign direct investment filing in a particular jurisdiction? Or if it's not a mandatory program, it's more voluntary, does it make sense given the foreign acquirer and the U.S. business at issue doesn't make sense to put this transaction in front of the government of that particular country to obtain the regulatory certainty that, for example, in the U.S., CFIUS clearance provides.
0: Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, boxes to check and tees to cross and eyes to that, I guess, correct? All right. Hey, all three of you, Eva, Renato, Chase, this has been terrific. This has been a great podcast series. We're looking forward to more. And, uh, Renato, Eva, let's stay in touch as developments occur. Please let us know. We'll have you back on sometime. And Chase, we'll talk to you again soon, right?
3: Sounds great. Thanks, Dave.
0: Hey, thank you all three for being here today.
3: Thank you, Dave. Thanks all right. a lot, Dave. Enjoy. Thanks,
0: you guys. Take care. You can find complete bios for Eva, Renato, and Chase at jonesday.com. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks on Apple Podcasts, Android, Google Play, and Stitcher. And while you're there, be sure to check out some of our previous podcasts, especially those on this foreign direct investment initiative. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.